Why so serious? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Cohen. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I am very excited about today's podcast. You know, here, here's what we're not going to do today. We are not going to talk about a forgettable Flash movie. We're not going to talk about the state of DC on film. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Snyder Cut of Caddyshack 2. No, 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 no. We're not doing any of that today. Instead, we are going to celebrate a movie that has a 9 on IMDb, a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, one of the greatest motion pictures in the history of movies, helmed by future Best Director winner Christopher Nolan. Yes, it is the 15th anniversary. We are discussing 2008's The Dark Knight. Uh, Bill Bodkin, the editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com, is here. Bill, you, you can't get me in a bad mood today. Hello. Oh, I mean, I could try. <laughs> no way, because we are talking about The Dark Knight. Uh, and because we are celebrating the 15th anniversary of The Dark Knight, uh, he was gracious enough to invite me on his podcast to talk Man of Steel. Uh, so it is time to return the favor. And so this is basically like a crossover podcast here. Uh, the co-host of the Anniversary Brothers podcast, it is Aaron Sarnecki. Aaron, great to have you here. Yeah, I, thanks for having me. And I, I was thinking it is sort of like a... Kind of just like an episode of the Anniversary Brothers, but without my brother Josh. And we are just yeah. and we're doing the other major DC superhero. Yes. Um, all righty. Well, the Dark Knight. So uh the original Star Wars trilogy, the Godfathers Parts One and Two, and the first Rocky. Why did I just list all those movies? Those are the only movies I like more than The Dark Knight. Uh listen, I'm obviously excited to be talking Dark Knight today. And uh I, I have to tell you though. It does feel a little bit silly to be talking about this movie on a podcast. And why is that? Because everything that needs to be said about this movie has been said. It is Goodfellas. It is The Empire Strikes Back. It is Jaws. I mean, what more can we add to the conversation? Uh, we're going to try. But it is a movie that has been dissected to death and for good reason. Um, so actually, I want to start off with a little bit of a curveball. I'm going to put Bill on the spot right away. Bill... What do you not like about this movie? Bad voice. <laughs> Bad voice is it's just there's so much in here. It's like, we can't let Harvey take the fall. I'd like I have a cheese sandwich. It's just like, I don't, it's just like, there's, it's Christian Bale. He's one of the premier actors of our generation. Multi-time Oscar nominee, Oscar winner. He's just great. He's great as Bruce Wayne. He's great physically as Batman. His he's line delivery as Batman, outside of the goddamn bat voice, is great because it's, he's just like you always feel like he has white stuff in the corner of his mouth where he's just like at some point he's just I feel like he's just like and you're just like you're not you're not saying words you're just barking essentially. Um, that's what does it for me because I feel like if there was a way to modulate that voice to like, oh, it's like okay, let's take let's turn the full throat rake down like a, a peg or let's turn it down to six maybe. Uh, I think it would have been better, but it's still everything about this movie is great. But that's the one where it's just sometimes there's these lines deliveries. It's not even when he's yelling. I think it's more when he's talking. He's like. Hey, yeah, yeah. 
and you're like, fuck, Christian, <laughs> just use your real voice. It's okay. Please. I beg of you, but he doesn't. And I, I have to say, like, if I'm going to find something to nitpick at, it's that. I mean, like, again, it's not the worst thing in the world. I can laugh about it. But, like, maybe I should. But, like, we also make fun of Marlon Brando and The Godfather. Like, you just brought up, like, one of your friends. It was just like, <laughs> it's the same thing, you know? And so it's it's just ludicrous voices, but we can look past it. Marlon Brando, let's face it, he's like, oh, boy, help me. you come to my thing and you do a thing. Ah. You know, it's just like, come on, what are you doing? Let's do it. Just talk like Marlon Brando. But he doesn't. These are choices the actors have made, and they've become iconic. So, I mean, fails maybe not Tom for a good thing. I mean, he, oh, so, <laughs> exactly. it's always like I it ends on an up. Not a question for him, but yeah, it's it's just that's if I'm gonna nitpick, it's just like, yikes, why that? Why'd you go with that? I figured that one of you was gonna have that answer. We'll see if Aaron has the same answer. I that will not be my answer uh, on on this question, but just very quickly before I get to Aaron, um, my my just here really quickly on the Batman voice for me, like I get it. Uh, for I've said this before on previous episodes of this podcast too. It does not. It's I don't mind it in Batman Begins, and I don't mind the Dark Knight. I will say it is distracting in the Dark Knight Rises, though, because yes. I feel like he talks a little bit more in the voice in Dark Knight Rises. And he has That's Bane really against him doing the same yeah. silly thing, so it's just like, ah, ah, ah. it's just like two dogs just talking to each other, and you're like, why? And then Talia al Ghul comes in, and I'm like, thank you, someone I can understand. Aaron, is that your same complaint, the Batman voice, or do you have something different for us? Well, I will, I will say that that was something that did not get to me upon original viewing that has bothered me a little more later on. But after just rewatching it, it did not irk me quite as much. Um, and I've I've been scouring the Internet trying to find because his voice was a little different in Batman Begins. And supposedly it's because they actually did more work on his voice in post, maybe because actually it was irritating Christian Bale's vocal cords to do that voice. Um, so they were trying to help him out a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, but um, listen, I understand the criticism. I also understand people are like, well, why didn't he just have some sort of voice changer like Ben Affleck does? Mm -hmm. And um, actually that was um, a thought that they, they considered doing in Batman Begins supposedly. Um, and then later they changed their mind. I kind of like that. I actually think that his voice in Batman or in the Dark Knight is actually a better disguise in the Dark Knight because it, it actually sounds less like his normal Bruce Wayne. Um, and so, yeah, there are some scenes it maybe doesn't work for me, I think. Um, but it, it does not ruin the, the movie for me. Um, I will say one thing. And this is not a criticism that I am the only per I, I was somebody who discovered other people had this criticism is that uh, I'm just not a big fan of uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, he He's good at staging action, but he's not always the best with uh, working with the choreographers with some of the fight scenes. Um, some mm -hmm. of the fight scenes um, 
sometimes a, a character will just stick their arm out with their gun and Batman will grab it and punch them. It'll be like, well, you just lined yourself up, you know, to get uh, punched by Batman. So um, as opposed to, I mean, listen, I, I understand that not every movie is going to have, uh, I don't know, like uh, Kung Fu style, you know, caliber a- action um, but it, it does something that I noticed more when I was uh, rewatching this. But um, I do have to say that there aren't really too many criticisms of this movie besides those two points that um, um, I have. I think they are actually very forgivable compared to, yeah. I think, um, bigger gripes that people could have. I'm going to completely and utterly cheat on this answer um because i'm going to complain about an annoying trend this movie started so this is not even really a complaint on the dark knight itself uh with the joker getting caught started this annoying trend of villains who plan to get caught in movies uh it happened in skyfall i'm pretty sure i'm remembering this accurately but it also happened with benedict cumberbatch in star trek into darkness in 2013 um and then it even happened in another batman movie recently with the riddler who does plan to get caught so, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm confident it happened that, in the Avengers yeah, too. Yeah, there you go. I was, see, I was literally, thank you, Aaron. I was literally going to say I'm confident. And Black, and Black, Pan- um, Black Panther. See, see you, you no, guys, didn't, no, didn't, I couldn't even think of right now. No, he, yeah, no, he kind he sort of kind of turned himself. He kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. So again, is that, yeah. that always starts with um, We've also not named terrible movies, by the way. It's just like the best James I, Bond movie. No, I haven't. The and best yet, Marvel I, movie. I mean, it's not that bad. It's I, a pretty, right. really I, good Batman well, movie. Well, well, a lot of people don't. It's Skyfall is obviously the best Daniel Craig Bond movie. Um, and everyone, like and everyone's pretty, <laughs> everyone's pretty universal in liking the Batman. Um, yeah. no, now there's a lot of complainers about Star Trek Into Darkness. I actually oh, happen to like that movie. I do too, but. but it's still even in good movie like it was still a trope where come on you you, you roll your eyes because we've been seeing it so many times and it was just i think part of it is because it was perfected in the dark knight um so yeah that's my complaint about the dark knight it's not even a complaint on the dark knight there you go i don't care i refuse to criticize this movie i love this movie it's a flawless film it's a hundred out of a hundred whatever so there you go but thus ends all the negative things we're going to say about the dark knight I mean, all right, I'm sure we'll have nitpicks along the way, but let's let's get into it. Let's get into the first time we saw this film back in 2008. I am going to start with Aaron. Aaron, just, just walk me through the day. What, what were you thinking going into this film? What was the excitement level at? And what did you say to yourself when it ended? Right. Um, so for this film, uh, I was very you know excited for this, you know, and was, you know, pretty much blown away by Batman Begins, um, patiently waiting for that movie years after Batman and Robin, which as a five-year-old was a big fan of that movie. Um, but uh, yeah, just waiting patiently for this. And I even remember having a conversation with my cousin. He's like, I don't think they can top Batman Begins. That movie was just so good. But um, I think very early on like the expectations for this movie were just so high they're just like they're gonna do everything they did with batman begins and take it to another level um and you know that tease with the joker at the end of batman begins i was super hyped so um i went uh i went to the movie with uh my brother uh josh and uh, a couple friends uh from uh the neighborhood and uh 
we, we had like the day planned. Like, um, I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know how many tie-ins they had for this movie in terms of like, uh, you guys, uh, Bill, you were just on like a socially distanced podcast. You were talking about, uh, it was like uh, Applebee's. Applebee's buy one, get one, uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones ticket. Yeah. Yeah. That was totally a thing. Right. So they didn't do that, but they had this, uh, this ad campaign for Domino's pizza. It was called Gotham <laughs> city pizza yeah, and yeah. it it just it was just pizza with extra pepperoni but they were like it's Which Gotham City awesome. pizza <laughs> yeah so we we got that we're like we got the Gotham City pizza and it's going to be awesome and uh yeah I, I went there and you know I was super amped for the movie and it's really interesting because and this is very similar to how I reacted when I left Inception it's like the movie was just so much to process um because it went in so many directions that i wasn't expecting that was just like i need to see that again and then i I believe i saw it again with my brother who i think josh saw it like three or four times so um and and then very you know quickly been like this movie is amazing and probably like my favorite movie for like the next five years Uh, so and I and it's so funny, you know, we're talking about this and it's like you mentioned, you know, like your brother saw it three or four times. Uh, I think I saw it. I want to say three or four times as well. Um, yeah, and it's ironic we're recording this now because it's just, it made so much money and I'm pretty sure it was the, it had it held the record for Warner Brothers domestic record until very recently. I, actually, it was just broken by Barbie pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, uh, mm-hmm. go, go get in the DeLorean, walk me through the day. Um, so what were you thinking going into this movie? Excitement level, first time you saw it. How did you react when it ended? So for me, uh, I remember I was kind of down on Batman prior to Batman Begins because Batman and Robin existed. And then my dad, I, I, I guess when Batman and Robin, no, sorry, Batman Begins dropped in. Oh, five. Oh, five. So I was just at the tail end of living at home. So I remember he had rented it and he's like, I, I was working or I, I went out and the night he rented it, he's like, I really want you to watch this with me. He's like, this is that good. He had actually, no, I, I'll walk that back. He didn't even rent it. He bought it. And he's like, you're going to watch this. And I watched it and I was like, wow. I said, like, this is great. I said, this is, this is Batman, right? This is, this is, this is, this is the goods. This is what I've been waiting for, for a long time. This is the grown up Batman. And then I think oh, I just with Nolan, I just started catching up on all his other stuff. I was just like, I just started, you know, I really liked that. And then the Dark Knight had come was was on the horizon. And I was like, man, this guy is like, he's an amazing director, man. Like I just because I remember then my buddy's like, oh, don't you remember Nolan was the guy who did Memento? And I was like, oh, my God, that's right. And I freaking love that movie. So I remember, you know. Uh, watching uh, The Prestige uh, and then like really being excited about that. And then my girlfriend at the time is now my wife. She was a big Nolan fan. So we were both really excited to see what was going to happen. Do I remember exactly what movie theater I saw it in? Not really. I want to say maybe I saw it either in, I want to say the big movie theater was New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is before they, this was like stadium seating, big screens. This is before everyone has, you know, you know, comfy recliners and couches and all the cool stuff we get now. Uh, we went there and I just remember 
just the hype level was just like it was so big and i was actually a little afraid not like scared of anything i'm just like i don't know man this hype level is so high like i don't know if this is gonna i think this might i i don't know if we can hit this mark and then well (laughs) that mark was way too low i realized because it blew every expectation i had had out of the water Christopher Nolan immediately became one of my all-time favorite directors. And outside of Interstellar and Oppenheimer, uh, I've seen all of his movies. Um, and Interstellar is just one of those random ones. I keep forgetting I haven't seen it. But Oppenheimer I think you like, would really like it. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, like, there's parts where people tell me, I'm like, oh, I guess i got to be in the mood to watch this. But also uh, Oppenheimer's just out and uh, being a parent and trying to find three and a half hours to four hours to to to, to watch a movie. It's not always easy. But yeah, no one it, like this changed. Like 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 Aaron said, this became one of my all time favorite movies for quite some time until two years later when Inception came out. I mean, I was I was obviously hyped as hell going into this movie. That goes oh, without saying. Um, well, here. Well, actually, well, here's the thing. I was I was someone who. I very much like Batman Begins, like everyone else, but I was not fanatic about it like a lot of people at the time. Like, I liked it a lot, but even coming out of Batman Begins, I was like, this still isn't my favorite Batman movie. Um, I mean, when once you see The Dark Knight, I mean, that movie is even enhanced more. But, uh, and this is, this is actually something I talked a lot about in a previous Batman by the Numbers episode, in which me, Alex Marcus, and DJ Chapman ranked all the Batman trailers, which I recommend people listen to that episode. It is a raucous, at times, incomprehensible episode, but I loved recording it. It's very entertaining to listen to. Um, But what got me truly hooked on the Dark Knight hype was that first teaser trailer, where it is just audio. It is Bruce and Alfred talking about the Joker, and you're waiting to hear Heath Ledger's voice for the first time as the Joker. And you know it's going to come in that teaser trailer. You know it's coming. And then you get it, you know, starting tonight, people will die. I'm a man of my word. And I, that is the moment I knew this wasn't just going to be another Batman movie. I, I knew this was going to be something truly special. Um, also, I elected not to see the prologue that was with I Am Legend, I believe. Um, I want to be truly fresh. Um, I did not have that same that. willpower for Dark Knight Rises. Uh, that one, no, I, that one I saw, um, which I think was with Mission Impossible 4, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. so, but you yeah, wrote about it. You wrote I, about I, it. I, like, I, yeah. before your Mission Impossible 4 review, you you sent me this thing, and I'll never fr- – I don't know why I remember this, but it was a Friday night, and you were messaging me. like You were like, Bill, it's coming in hot. It has to go up immediately. And I'm just like, I'm like, shit, I got to try and find a poster for this. And like, and I, I remember that I was living in my Matawan apartment right before my house. And um, I, I remember having to put that up and you were just like, you, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> you were like, you were the Batman voice. You were frothing at the mouth. You're like, I mean, me. smell. Florida this man. is not this is not a Dark Knight Rises uh, anniversary podcast, but I mean I've said Good. this a million times. My hype level for that movie was just in another galaxy. Um, but listen, I you know saw the trailers months later. Then I finally saw the Dark Knight at midnight, of course, at a midnight showing uh, in North Hollywood with a friend of mine from work. The movie opens. You see that blue fire after the logos with the ominous music, and I remember thinking right there, this movie is going to change me. And two and a half hours later, it did. And this movie, I mean, this movie did for me with comic book movies what, you know, like the Royal Tenenbaums did for me on how I looked at comedy movies going forward. Yeah. 
And this is like, I mean, this is really the genesis of why I've always been so hard on Marvel movies, too, is, look, I admit it, The Dark Knight spoiled me on superhero movies. I, there's no question, you know, to quote the Joker, you know, there's no going back. Um, now, I admit that, you know, I lost that war because, ironically, it was the Avengers and not The Dark Knight that really did set the template for superhero movies going forward for the next 15 years. Um, now, obviously, The Dark Knight had a major influence on the Oscars, and we're not going to get into all that. And if you want to if you want to hear a discussion on that, Bill and I actually did a previous Batman by the Numbers episode where we get into all the Oscar stuff um, with Batman and the Oscars. So that's a real deep dive if you want to listen about that stuff. Um, but look, when it comes to The Dark Knight itself, I mean, it is it's one of those movies that raised my you know movie maturity level going forward. I mean, it was really one of those, as I call it, benchmark films. I mean, you know, the Truman Show is very much like that when I saw it, you know, back in middle school. Um, now, speaking of going to the movies and film going, um, as we all know, you know, movie theaters, you know, constantly threatened by streaming as movies are going to streaming a lot quicker. I just saw that Asteroid City, the most recent Wes Anderson film, yeah. is already on Peacock, which I that is it's just been crazy. for a few weeks, by the way. Like, I feel like I just saw that movie. Oh, by um, the way, the, the next Wes Anderson the, movie is on Netflix in like a month. I saw like kind of like a random poster ad for that. Yeah, yep. I've got to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but now, but listen, though, you know, I think if Barbenheimer taught us anything uh, in Top Gun last year, too, there there is still a unique quality of going to the movies and experiencing a film for the first time with a crowd. And The Dark Knight is definitely one of those. I remember the theater experience movies. And I'll just say this, like maybe the best moment I ever had in a movie theater was when that damn truck flips over and it is punctuated by the bad pod on that wall flip. Like, I'm telling you to feel the energy from that crowd when that happened, I will never forget that. Also too, what's great about that sequence is other than just being a thrilling, purely great action sequence, you know, it's also a big character moment for Batman and Joker. You know, it's their second face off in the movie after the Dent fundraiser. And you've got the Joker shouting, you know, come on, I want you to do it. Hit me, hit me. And of course, Batman can't do it. So it's not just like, hey, here's a well-staged action scene, you know, is, but this action scene is also going to develop the characters in the story. It's those types of moments that make a movie a classic. And, you know, Jaws has that element, too. It's it's a masterpiece. Um, Aaron, I want to throw it to you. So and I know I just probably took the most iconic like yeah. theater scene ever. But was there any was there any moment in the Dark Knight or any scene in particular where, you know, you felt that grand movie theater? I'm feeding the energy off the crowd moments. You see, um, my recollection is not as good. Unfortunately, I do remember that a big crowd pleasing moment was the uh, I think it was a character's Reese, the accountant. And he's going to Morgan Freeman or uh, mm -hmm. Lucius Fox. And he's explaining is like, listen, I'm going to blackmail you for millions of dollars. Um, and then Fox is like, oh, so, you know, you think that, you know, your employer is Batman and you can just blackmail him. <laughs> and I, I remember that getting a lot of laughs. Um, uh, I know this movie isn't known necessarily for its comedy, but I feel like that is unfair because um, I really think that this movie highlights Nolan's uh, a lot of his wit, um, a, a lot of the back and forth between uh uh, Bruce and uh, Lucius, um, yeah, even I just agree. like ways he he will play off of like meeting Harvey for the first time. Um, it uh, there uh, there are just so many 
so many lines that uh uh i think are uh underappreciated even something subtle like um which again would not have gotten maybe the most laughs but when they're talking about the sonar from the phone that they're utilizing and bruce is like like uh like a submarine <laughs> it's like it, it goes through the subversion and ends up being funnier because they could have just said oh it's like a bat it like diffuses the tension of the scene I think so. I you, that's a great insight on the comedy element to this movie. Yeah. I'm I'm really I'm really glad you brought this up because I mean, look, and let's I mean, obviously, the Dark Knight trilogy as a whole, very, very serious. You know, yeah, they were kind of those earnest superhero movies. And I think maybe not so much Nolan's movies were criticized for this, but I think a lot of movies coming out of the Nolan trilogy, Man of Steel, very much in particular, mm -hmm. is like, oh, you know, superheroes like, what, you know, they're very, they're getting so serious. They're getting so dark and yada, yada, yada. But people forget, like the Dark Knight trilogy had a lot of funny moments. I mean, you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Um, I mean, a lot of great funny moments with Alfred. Like, you know, I remember one when, um, you know, Bruce agrees to go turn himself in, right? And Alfred's like, oh, I guess they're going to lock me up as your accomplice. And Bruce is like, oh, I'm going to tell him the whole thing was your idea. Like, that's a funny moment. I really like when Bruce Wayne's falling asleep at the meeting. So, yeah, no, it's a mm -hmm. great point that they're really, for as serious as this movie is and for as dark as I can get, there is definitely still moments of levity. It's it's a great point. Um, Bill. For you, any any kind of like I remember sure. that theater moment for for you when you saw The Dark Knight. So I don't know. I had to step away from my mic for a second, but um, the part where the Joker puts that uh, henchman's eye through the pencil. Yep. That was I have never seen an audience react like it's like ha ha that's funny oh my god that is the one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life like instantaneous like we're laughing we're afraid like it it's yep. it's like just so heinous and so violent in, and, and and just so exact and instantaneous that it's just like you're you have this visceral reaction to it that like i don't think i've really had at the movies much and i've gone to a lot of movies um i think a lot of people i remember a lot of people were really buzzing about the opening with how they when all the the, the guys start shooting each other we don't know who's who and people were just like, what is, what is happening? Like, there was a buzz about, like, what's happening here? Like, is this, is this for real? And also, like, another part that's really small that got the kind of, oh, my God, type of reaction, just seeing that this wasn't Jack Nicholson's Joker. This wasn't mm -hmm. Cesar Romero's Joker. This wasn't even the Joker from Mark Hamill's uh, vocal acting years. This was someone totally malevolent and evil is when he has the two guys, when he has, he break he snaps the pool stick and he's like whoever's left standing you're with me and you hear this Nolan does this thing where you just kind of see them and then you pan away and you just hear this death struggle and it's so uh, it's so visceral and sadistic and it and it's like and you and it feels like this is what people would do this doesn't feel like a comic book this doesn't feel like fantasy this feels like this is what people would do to each other and I think that's the wonderful part of the Joker is he, uh, Nolan's uh, and Ledger's Joker is he's so realistic that like the that's how like that part pays off the bomb part. It's just like we're going to see how people react. And I think the bomb part, I remember people just uh, audibly sigh, audible sighs of like relief, seeing people like wipe their brow and stuff like that, because it's a very tense moment of who's going to kill who. And uh, yeah, I mean, Ledger just captivated everyone 
when he was on screen. And even when he wasn't on screen, the stuff he set in motion captivated people it just as um, just as impactfully. And I think that's the reason he won the Oscar. It wasn't it didn't just win because it was posthumous. He won because he created one of the great monsters, one of the great villains in cinema history. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cinema with a capital I, C for anyone wondering. <laughs> I mean, let's just do it. We're talking about Joker. See, I mean, let, let's just get it. Let's just do it. Let's. You well, then I, what, I, I can't remember. You answered this. You answered that question already. Well, like the most visceral moments for you. I did. Well, yeah, I talked about um, I we were talking about kind of like movie theater experiences. And yeah. I was talking about I did the wall flip and all that, that action. Oh, sequence. that's right. I will never forget. But 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 listen, I mean, the pencil trick. I mean, that was my secondary answer for sure. Um, but let's do the Heath Ledger is awesome as Joker discussion, because, yeah. again, I know Bill already talked a lot about it. But this is again, this is one of those everything that needs to be said about this has already been said. But let's say it again, because it can't be said enough to say and Bill's right. I mean, to say that Heath Ledger's performance is one of the most celebrated performances ever in a motion picture is not hyperbole. Um, and I believe Bill and I talked about this in our Batman at the Oscars podcast. Uh, for me personally, like the only best supporting actor performance of the last 20 years that really rivaled him is J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. And that's just for me. But I think, you know, like one of one of the many elements that makes Joker one of the greatest villains of all time um, and yes, and I would also just very quickly, like going back to the bank heist scene, like it is one of the best villain introductions ever in a movie right there with Darth Vader or Hannibal Lecter. Um, but I just think for me, like the Joker, it's it's how methodical his threat level increases throughout the movie. And you have to give the screenwriting credit for that, too. And I want to talk more about that in a bit, but I want to give you guys a chance to um, elaborate more on the Joker first. Aaron, you're on our podcast talking about the Dark Knight. This is it. Anything mm -hmm. you want to say about Heath Ledger's Joker, favorite moment, favorite acting moment, what is it about the, his performance, as Bill said, was so captivating for you? Right. I, I mean, I think what's just so captivating is how much of a depart, like it it has enough of Joker that we recognize with sort of, you know, um, the, the sort of the manic laughter and, you know, his appearance. But it's sort of like Bill said, like, they infuse so much of uh, almost kind of like other movies. I don't know how much of this was necessarily um, intentional, but, you know, you get some interesting vibes uh, from this movie that, or at least I did this time, that uh, I, I, I thought about some, some of the stuff he does reminded me of other movies like um, John Malkovich's character in The Line of Fire. Um, a little bit of the uh, wow, that's a great, that's a great villain. Right. Um, also thinking a little bit uh, about a, uh, was it John Doe in Seven? Um, uh, and so it, it, it really feels like yeah, they they took almost like they made the Joker a serial killer. I mean, he's not exactly, he's more like a criminal mastermind. Um, and 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 yeah, I don't know. It's just every moment that he's on screens feels completely lived in. Um, I would not for a second have thought, and this is, I didn't know Heath Ledger. I was like, this, like this guy's Australian. <laughs> like I had no clue that like, it, it's just Heath Ledger. The person just completely disappears. Um, and um, I, I don't know what there, there's, there's much to say is that he, he like, you guys said like he is menacing and yet there is 
sort of this dark comedicness to him, uh, even when, you know, he's uh, like he's driving that truck and he's he's pushing the guy over. He's like, I want to drive. And he's jumping mm-hmm. on the, the henchman that uh, who gets shocked when he tries to take Batman's mask off. It's just I don't know. Everything is just so pitch perfect about um, what Nolan did for the character. Um, and of course, like it caused a lot of people to be like, oh, well, how can we imitate the Joker? And I feel like this Joker is very much it's separate from the the you know, it's just an interpretation. And I think that people need to uh, not they need to learn what made it work, but not necessarily just copy it. Right. I mean, this is look, we've seen obviously the Joker has been celebrated and done well in other interpretations. But yes, this Joker is very unique to this franchise and to his performance. And I mean, I'll just before I throw it back to Bill, just very quickly. And I think I said I think I said this in a piece I wrote when we were actually when I was writing about the 10 year anniversary of the Dark Mm -hmm. Knight, that just like every scene with him, just it felt like an event. You know, it's mm-hmm. like every single moment was just like, oh, like when is, you know, it's like, OK, you know, Heath Ledger is back on the screen like, again. It was like an event. Um, Bill, I know you already mentioned a few moments, but any other like specific Heath Ledger Joker moments that really stick with you? Yeah. You know what I love is the no one knows his lore or his background. It keeps changing. Yep. And what is great about him is we've always had the Joker as this like anarchist kind of sort of anarchist. But ultimately, he's he's causing chaos, I should say, in order to either defeat Batman or rob banks. Like we we have rooted him is for power. It's we've rooted him in the detective comics world. Like he's like we haven't evolved this character since then. And what was great about him when you first see him is just like why is he doing this? Especially when he burns the money. You're like what what are we doing here? And you're like oh he's just going after Batman then Alfred perfectly summates it. Some people just love to watch the world burn. And you're like, oh my God, this is a completely, this is someone who has a death drive who does not care if they die, by the way, at all, and is willing to take everyone down with him in the way that tickles him the most. And what tickles him the most is um, creating havoc, chaos, death, and anarchy. But, having other people do it for him. Yeah, great point. And and that's what makes him so brilliant. It's just like he yeah, he'll he'll put a guy's face through a pencil, but he'll make people fight to the death for him. He'll make people choose whether they're gonna blow up a boat of convicts or blow up a boat of civilians or they blow each other up. You know, he's poisoning people. He wants he want he's he wants people to turn on each other. Just like kind of like what Scarecrow was doing, but in a way that just makes him laugh that's ultimately what he wants to do he's it, this is all funny to him this isn't about power this is about this is funny to him because he's twisted and he also just is willing to be like well i'm gonna die anyway so i'm gonna have some fun on my way out my fun on my way out is killing as many people having people kill each other because that's pretty hilarious because look what i did that wants to make people kill each other and look how he did that whole thing with Anthony Michael Hall, with the um, who, who's like a random ass cameo <laughs> as, a, as yeah. a news anchor that everyone's going after the Batman, you know, and stuff like that. It's it's great. It's really great. He has done what no other like Razo Ghoul did it sort of, but like he turns the world upside down. The Joker by making people turn it upside down for him. There's no mind control. There's no laughing gas. 
there's no military forces that are doing this. This is him planting seeds and being an agent of chaos. That's what makes him great. Because how do you argue with that? How do you defeat that? And that's ultimately what Alfred's saying to him, is that we had to burn the whole thing down in order to beat him. And did we even really win? And the question is, does Batman really win in the end? And I think that's what makes this movie so great. It's like, and you also, you know, a lot of great points. And one of the things you say is, hey, like, you know, the Joker, you know, he doesn't care, um, you know, if he dies or not, right? And it's like, I think back to that uh, scene at the hospital with Harvey Dent, and Harvey Dent is flipping the coin. And it's like, you know what? If it lands on the bad side, then Harvey Dent shoots him, and the Joker's like, well, then I've made my point already. And so it's like, he's good there. Um, and then also, you're, Bill, you're right, too. It's like, he's just having, you know a lot of fun with this right and he even tells batman at one point i don't want to kill you because you're too much fun and i think for me it's like it's like i said i what i really like about the joker in this movie and just the build-up is again it's how methodical this character's threat level increases throughout the movie and first of all you know again we talk about how great the bank scene is and just kind of like with the bat pod truck chase you know aside from it being just a thrilling well-paced well-staged scene it also sets up the 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 character of the joker very well you know you have the william fickner character the bank manager screaming you know criminals in this town used to believe in things honor respect you know look at you what do you believe in you know what do you believe in and then in so many words the joker essentially tells him i don't give a crap about what criminals used to be in this town i'm going to be something bigger i'm going to be something much more sinister and you know that kind of serves the whole line later on of this city deserves a better class of criminal and i'm going to give it to them um, but, you know, what's really interesting, too, about this screenplay is, like, remember, the first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie, Batman's not even thinking about the Joker. You know, one man or the entire entire mob, he can wait. Dent could care less about him. You know, they're entirely focused on taking down the mob. Gordon has some concerns, but even he's, like, in the same mindset of, yeah, we're going to go after the mob. But he's slowly climbing up the ladder. And I, I think it was actually even Nolan who famously described the Joker as like the shark in Jaws, just this impending doom. Um, and again, throughout the movie, it just keeps growing and growing. You know, first he robs a bank. OK, then he threatens the mob. You know, then he releases that fake Batman hostage video where he makes his first threat. And I, I talk about that scene all the time, too, because also Bale and Kane are fantastic in that scene as they watch the video. It goes back to what some of you were saying earlier, too, Bill, is like Bruce is watching that scene just in complete shock of like, who the hell is this guy? He's like confused by it almost. Whereas Alfred is watching it and you can see it in his eyes. He knows exactly what this guy is, which leads, of course, to the Burma speech later on. But then the Joker, you know, then he kills the commissioner. Then he kills the judge. Um, he threatens everyone at the Dent fundraiser. Then he gets caught. But of course, it was all planned. And then, like you said, he burns all the money and he's revealing his true colors as the movie keeps going along. He threatens to kill Reese, who's going to reveal Batman's identity, which now he doesn't want. Right. He doesn't want that to happen. And before you know it, he's hijacked two ferries and the city is in total chaos. The way the movie builds to this crescendo of unease and nervousness is just spectacular. And then Joker gets the final laugh in his final scene as he's won. And he's basically like, you know, that final line, madness, as you know, is like gravity, all it takes is a little push. And he has corrupted Harvey Dent. And who Batman, of course, says like he was the best of them. That's why the Joker went after him, right? And which leads to the climax of the film is, you know, they all have to lie at the end. And that goes to what Bill said, like, you know, did Batman really win? And this is this is what great screenwriting is. Conflict build up stake. Conflict build up stakes. 
And I think that's a good lead in to just talk about very simply what is our favorite scenes in this movie? You know, the best moment for you guys. I, I've talked about what mine is a hundred times in previous episodes. I will talk about it again, but uh, I'm going to let you guys go first. Uh, Bill Bodkin, in this masterpiece of a two and a half hour movie, you know, what is the YouTube, what are the YouTube scenes you're firing up? Oh man. I mean, you have to do the entire, the entire chase sequence where, uh, where you have the guy from uh, the Devil's Rejects is driving the truck to uh, Captain Spaulding, and then uh, even though it's not actually Captain Spaulding, but it's the actor Sid Haig, uh, then it, it, him coming at the bat pod with the with the gun, he's like, "Come on, come on!" And it just like all of that is just such a massive set piece and such a massive piece of action. It's so well done. It's so yeah, it's a big popcorn action scene on paper. But in reality, it is just a it is a street it is as brutal as a fist fight because this is that like he is getting bombarded by all sides. It's the chaos of the Joker in full effect. And it's never played for laughs. Like, listen, I love Jack Nicholson, but when he pulls out the really big gun and shoots the bat wing, it's fun. It fits that Joker, but they don't under it's never undercut for this Joker. It's I'm going to take a rocket launcher. I'm going to I'm going to push people out of my way because I want to get to the bat like that is great stuff. Um, I also gosh, there's so much in this movie that I really, truly love. But honestly, the Michael Caine scene about the, the world burning, I think is great because it's just you're so used to Alfred just being a guy. He's always been in service to the Waynes. But this like kind of gives this wild backstory of like, oh, when I was hunting this criminal in India, they're like, wait a second. And it's just like you get this different side of Alfred. And that's kind of an off to the races moment with Michael Caine and his role in the in Batman to one of my favorite scenes in the Batman series where he is weeping, saying, I fail, you know, just like how he says he's failed. And then, of course, the payoff is he sees him in the cafe, just like he said. Which and that whole thing sets the whole thing off right there. And that's what I love. We change the dynamic of a side character who has God at this point, at that point, 60 plus years of history to it. Very one dimensional. And now in a movie that it doesn't even need, it doesn't need to do it, but it does. It fleshes him out in a completely different way. And a Batman Begins had to, and it started that, but it, this was when Alfred became like he was, He's the smarts here. He really, he really, truly is. I also love the dual bomb scene, the way that's filmed, that you think he's going after Maggie Gyllenhaal, but instead he shows up for Harvey Dent. And he's like, no, no, no. He's just screaming, no, you weren't supposed to come for me. And how, but the, but the, the lead up to that, how they shot that, no one, it's impeccable because we all are expecting what Harvey Dent's expecting. And you show up, you're like, no, you're supposed to save the girl because you're supposed to be with the girl, right? It's Batman, the superheroes is what we expect. But no one beautifully subverts all that. What, what's crushing to me about that scene, too, is like, and I just because the first time I saw the movie, I knew that the Joker switched the addresses. I knew it. And that's why I was just so 
I, I knew it was going to happen, which was so crushing for me. Um, and also just very quickly before I throw it to Aaron and, you know, you mentioned the Burma speech too. what I, what I just also really like about this scene is it's such, it's such a big teaching moment too, for Bruce that Alfred is trying to impart on him. It's like, yeah, listen, I know you spent, you know, seven years, you know, learning about the criminal mind and the criminal underworld. And, you know, you study with the league of shadows and yada, yada, yada. But like, you don't understand, like, this is a different caliber of an enemy here. And like, you've got, you've got to listen to me on this. And that's where, you know, and that's, of course, when Bruce Wayne starts really taking the Joker very, very seriously, if he wasn't already. Um, Aaron, go for it. Favorite scene, favorite moments in The Dark Knight? Uh, well, the scene that I always go back to the most is the interrogation scene between Batman <sighs> and the Joker. I don't know if, at, yeah. Dan, that was going to be yours, but... Of course it was, but please, before okay. it's yours. Yeah, I mean, you can expand on it. I just... Um, it's I know we criticized the bail voice, but I do think in that moment it it does work. Yes, um, um, it, it is. Um, he is menacing enough. He's not over the top. And, and just the way that the, the, the scene slowly unravels um, and you see how Joker has the upper hand um, um, and how sort of it almost I mean, like, I think I cringed when he threw him up against the window because it was so violent i was not expecting that yeah i really did it's like batman losing control so intense yeah it's so I mean, intense so yeah that that's a moment that i always go back to um and, and and it's it's also just it's it's really interesting because i feel like in that scene um it, with with bale's performance i almost feel like I, I like I talked about how I, I you kind of lose Heath Ledger in the Joker. He just becomes a character. I, I kind of felt I feel that way with the scene where he's interrogating the Joker that not only do I lose Christian Bale, I almost feel like I, I lose Bruce Wayne. He, he is just Batman and he yeah. is interrogating him. And and you just look in his eyes and they did the thing where they finally addressed it in the Batman where they're like, yeah, he wears eye paint around his his eyes. But just you see into his eyes and it's just kind of like a black hole of I don't know. He, he's sort of like an abyss that the, the Joker is staring into. And I don't know that this scene is just endlessly re rewatchable. Just I'm so glad you really hit home on Bale's performance there because it's easy yeah. to just, you know, focus on Heath Ledger, who's, of course, is just uh, phenomenal in that scene. But Bale is equally as good. I mean, he's so compelling. And yeah, I it, look, it's for me, it's the interrogation scene. This is I've talked about the scene a million times. It is one of my favorite scenes ever in a motion picture. I honestly probably one of my top five scenes ever. It is a perfect scene. It is perfectly written. It is perfectly acted. It is perfectly scored. It is perfectly filmed. It's the perfect grimy police station set. It is just perfectly directed. I, when Batman grabs that chair as Gordon desperately tries to get back in, because as as you already talked about, he sees Batman losing control. And just while the Joker is just chuckling along, I, we go back to movie theater experiences and like you can feel the audience just sink into their chairs. It, it's devastating. And this is really like I, this interrogation scene, too. Like this is really for me where a, kind of a new movie begins. And this is when the movie stops being a great crime film. And I actually think it becomes more of a comic book movie. And let me be very clear about this. I mean that as a very high compliment. Because um, this is where the Joker is starting to show who he really is. And basically, this is where he makes his mission statement. Um, which is also emphasized once again in the hospital scene with Dent. 
uh, later on. And I know one of my good friends, he actually prefers the hospital scene over this one, in which don't get me wrong, that scene is phenomenal as well. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, I think that this scene. I think that that scene at the hospital is rehashing a lot of the stuff that Joker is kind of already saying in the scene, which is essentially this whole idea of, you know, these civilized people are only as good as the world allows them to be. And also, I just think the interrogation scene for me, I've said this a lot, it just it hits me harder because this is the scene that encapsulates so beautifully, you know, whatever the 80 year history or whatever it is of Batman and the Joker and what their central conflict is. The Joker will never stop until he corrupts Batman and Batman will never be corrupted. And again, it is reemphasized in what is probably my favorite line in the whole movie later on, which is this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. It, it is just that's, beautiful. That's, that's a gorilla and, monsoon from the WWF. I mean, uh, he, he said that about 20 years before, but all right. But it's a great I'm just saying. I didn't say that. I I didn't know that. I learned something new every day. Uh, but Dan, also, I, I I have a I, yes. I have one thing I want to yes. mention. Something that I think you wrote for the ten year anniversary that uh, he quotes Jerry Maguire where he says, "You complete me." Yes. And that this line is more famous in Batman now than it was ever in that movie. Absolutely, which incredible. is like crazy. Like, yeah, it, it is. It, you know, you're right. Yeah, I, I do remember writing about that. It is crazy to think about and. You also, too, like with this interrogation scene, I'm going to kind of I'm going to expand it a little bit, too, because you also because you also have the moment with Gordon before that um, with Joker basically telling Gordon, like how alone he is and revealing to Gordon how corrupt his, you know, his unit is. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I, I really noticed this on my last rewatch earlier this week. Go back and watch Oldman's acting there. Just the loneliness and the emptiness on his face as he realizes this is just soul crushing. Um, and with, yeah, and as Aaron, as you already talked about a lot, like with Batman in this scene, it's just, he's just unhinged. And the thing is, where the scene really gets to you is that the harder he's punching Joker, the more he's actually fueling him. And the Joker pretty much flat out just tells him like, yeah, like you have nothing to do with all your strength. Like you cannot hurt me. It's like, again, like this is, this is a scene I've watched 900 times. I have probably talked about this scene the most like honestly out of any movie scene ever in conversations with people about movies. So to quote Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Um, But I want to just kind of, I want to get into, you know, our kind of our final wrap ups of this movie. And I'll just, I'll just quickly say uh, a couple other details that I love about this movie. We didn't get to Um, first of all, perfect use of a cameo with Scarecrow in this movie. I I don't want to let that slide. Um, also, it was just it was just such a pleasure watching the movie again this week, knowing that Killian Murphy could very well win an Oscar soon, which is that's mm-hmm. just awesome. Um, also, we, we talked about it a little bit. The scene at the party when Joker is threatening Rachel, I, I want to I got to give Maggie Gyllenhaal some much deserved kudos in that scene, because, again, like obviously we talk about how great Heath Ledger is. But Gyllenhaal is equally impressive in that scene. Just this perfect mix of fierceness and toughness just also like the way her eyes are darting away from the Joker as he spews his scar BS. I, that is just great acting. Um, and then look, just like, I, it's simply, also, you have, yeah, to, oh, yeah, you have go to ahead. give it to her because yeah. she came in midstream replacing Katie Holmes. Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, it was effortless, effortless. Like, and, and that's a, that's a credit to Nolan as well, because it's just like, okay. Cause you know, when you replace someone, you know, mid trilogy, it's not usually not good. <laughs> Right. No, you're right. It was it was seamless. It's, it's absolutely dead on. Um, But the, just like for me, very simply, the ending to the film, which 
I think I actually said in our pilot episode of this podcast, um, just to me, it, imper- it perfectly encapsulates who Batman is. It's the final arc of this movie. It's the exclamation point. Batman is what Gotham needs him to be. The watchful protector, the dark knight, boom, we're done. Hans Zimmer, James Newton Howard score. It's just, it's just such a great ending. One of the greatest endings ever to a movie. Um, Bill Bodkin, uh, go for it. Final thoughts on the dark knight. I think one thing, and you're, you just started to touch on it, the one thing that gets underrated about this movie, and people are like, how the hell can you underrate The Dark Knight, is the incredible actors who are in it. Like, we haven't talked much about, I mean, think about this. Okay, obviously we have Heath Ledger, and we have we have Christian Bale, but just think about the rest of that cast, man. Like, we, have, we haven't talked about Aaron Eckhart, who is, like the perfect guy to play Harvey Dent. And I still think one of my favorite shots in the movie is when he turns and you fully see the face, the burnt face and how it's look. And yes, we know it's CGI mixed with practical effects, but it looks fucking great. It is better than what we have seen in a lot of films these days. We haven't talked an iota about, I mean, maybe we mentioned his name, Morgan Freeman. You know, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman. Like, there's so many people in this film. You even have Eric Roberts, who's not bad at it either. There are so oh, great. Many, there's so many names in this film. You know, Michael Jai White, another one. It's just like you run through this filthy cast, and they all are giving amazing performances, but we only talk about Heath Ledger, and then we talk about Christian Bale. It's wild the fact that this is such a stacked, well-acted show. It really, truly is. And that's been a through line for the whole Dark Knight trilogy. Matthew Modine, I really love Matthew Modine and Dark Knight Rises. Like, there's, like, people who just get their little spots, and, man, they, they maximize those minutes. And I feel like there are movies that, like, we can consider classics, you know. But how many times are you going back to them? And I think what we do here is we have a classic that has a high rewatchable high rewatchability factor which is difficult and i i i'd be remiss we we mentioned this on the first batman by the numbers we mentioned a million times this movie irrevocably changed the academy awards plain and simple and that makes it a movie that should be discussed all the time it changed the movie industry Mm -hmm. and it shows that the source material can win oscars I mean, look, it's a great point. I mean, and literally that point is so important that we dedicated an entire podcast just to talking about that. So again, I'm going to reemphasize, please, please listen back to some of our previous episodes, in particular, that Batman at the Oscars podcast, where we talk about all that. And yes, thank you for bringing up, you know, guys like Aaron Eckhart, Gary Ullman. And yeah, it's just like, look at they're I mean, they're delivering. And it's just one of those things where it's just, if, you know, it's because you got a Heath Ledger there. You, who knows? Like, I really do think like one of them could have easily been nominated for an Oscar, too. It's just you're right. It is just such a well-rounded cast. Um, all right, Aaron, go for it. Uh, final thoughts on this masterpiece of a movie. Right. I just what's really interesting about this movie, not only how, you know, it obviously changed the Oscars, but with how it really changed how we looked at comic book movies where Nolan did something that was so groundbreaking where he tried to make this movie like a, a crime saga, um, like, like the, like the departed, like he, he, he looked at heat specifically. He was inspired by, which you look at stuff like the, uh, a lot of the, uh, 
visually the way this movie looks, the use of the color blue, uh, the bank robbery scene, he cited heat as a big influence. Uh, but just the idea that you could make um, this movie into this epic crime saga that people could be invested with. And I know I think some people were not for a very small minority that did not work. They said, oh, well, you know, it's like The Departed. But then, you know, somebody shows up dressed up like Batman and it takes me out of it. The fact that he was able to get most people on board with that is like incredible. Um, and, I mean, those parts of me. You know, the the previous movie was more comic booky. It's almost like hard to believe that there were a bunch of ninjas in the previous movie. This one is so grounded. But this is really like um, you, I think, and Alex uh, said on a previous podcast, this is what this is the studio allowing Christopher Nolan to do exactly what he set out to do. They let him do it in the second movie. Um, and he 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 did. He really changed comic book movies. And then. You have, you know, some movies that kind of try to do the same thing, but maybe not as successful. You look at a movie like Doctor Strange kind of uh, kind of copies some visuals from Inception, but I wouldn't consider it to be an Inception movie. You know, Marvel's very big on trying to do genre, you know, mimic genres that kind of I mean, that kind of started with this. I mean, uh, so uh not that, you know, I'm not blaming Christopher Nolan for giving us, you know, movies like Thor, Love and Thunder, but <laughs> I love that just... movie. So thank you, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying, I mean, even though the Avengers is maybe the movie with its, uh, you know, with its, you know, stamp on, you know, saying shared universe, that's the way you want to go. I think this movie, you give it some credit in, you know, it's sort of genre, um, genre bendingness. Um and um, I, all I got to say is, yeah, maybe this so this movie isn't, you know, a shared universe. This is I think it, if we're not going to, you know, get movies like um, like this anymore that are standalone. This movie showed us at least this is like the peak of what you can achieve with just single character on their own. Um, and, you know, Warner Brothers has not been able to match this movie in the 15 years it's come out. So that is like so very well said and perfect lead into uh, I'm actually going to I'm going to I'm going to throw two bonus questions at you here. So I think I know the answer to this from all of us, but I just, I just want to ask it anyway. I mean, uh, this movie came out in 2008. This is the 15th year anniversary. We've gotten a lot of superhero and comic book movies since then. Now, my answer is very obvious on this one. Yes, I still think it's the greatest comic book movie ever made. Like it's not Batman versus Superman. It's not Batman versus Superman. I don't sure know. Maybe that was my favorite from 2016. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the film. Um, but You've so again, You've looked at the if, film. I'm actually I'm actually very Bill. I'm actually very curious on your answer on this because you're very well versed to answer this right now, because I know in like the recent year, you know, you've been watching a lot of Marvel and now you've yeah. seen all the Marvel movies. But I will ask you this 15 years later. Is The Dark Knight still at the top of the mountain for you as your favorite comic book movie? I, it, it, it's not even fair to put, ask that question because it's not only just a great comic book movie. It's To me, it's the top ten movie of all time. Like, there are few films that touch this film. Like, in general, for me. Like, you know, Inception will always be my Nolan standard, but um dark knight i mean it'll be in my top 10 to 15 films of all time depending on the time or day i mean yeah it's it's 
it's better than anything Marvel's put out, I think. Um, I think there's stuff that comes close. But we also have to remember there are a few comic book movies, just talking about this in general, that have had the impact on film, that have had the impact on the industry, and have had, were a cultural phenomenon. This movie was the undeniable movie. Everyone saw this. You had to have seen it. Everyone's, you will not, this was the movie, this was the Barbie of our, of 2008. You know what I mean? But it's true. You gotta go see this movie. How are you not watching this movie? Don't wait the six to eight months before it comes to pay-per-view because we didn't have on-demand. We had to still do friggin' pay-per-view. Like, we, as a, as we live in society. No, that was another DC <laughs> movie. Uh, that was another shitbox movie we don't want to talk about. Uh, but it's like, no, we we were all involved in this. The the lines became iconic. They were parodied. They were everything was like this. Still remains. This has the more long standing than any of these other films. And I love a lot of those films. But I love Guardians of the Galaxy. One of my favorites. But, you know, is it going to – and it's that's not really fair to say, can that stand up to the Dark Knight? No. I mean, it doesn't have the cultural resonance that the Dark Knight or any – a lot of the Marvel movies haven't. Or D, and DC – God, this movie did DC – If you know what my complaint about this movie is? This movie did DC so dirty because <laughs> they were like, we got to make that again. And it's just like, don't do it because it's like, let's make the, let's like every mob movie is like, you know what we got to be? We got to be the Godfather. You know why Goodfellas is so great? Because it doesn't try to be the Godfather. You know, it's just like, not every Western can be Shane. Like, and I don't even like Shane that much, to be honest with you. But it's just like, you don't have to try and make it that again. And that's what DC has tried to do. They're like, we're going to make the next Dark Knight. Okay, that didn't work. Let's make the Avengers. That didn't work. Let's try and make the Dark Knight. Just make your own shit. And I, again, bringing this back, I've said this on a few podcasts recently, and James Gunn I trust because I think he'll find a way to be able to walk the line. And it's not just a Johnny Cash song, guys. It's a way of life. Well, listen, I also, though, too, and... You know, You're welcome Sony, for ten other talking so, points from that answer. You know, so I I I, I do have one. <laughs> that is, I actually I actually want to mention uh, Sony briefly in the Andrew Garfield movies because it's like you're right. It's just because what if you remember when those two Andrew Garfield movies came out, and I actually kind of liked the first forget. Amazing Spider-Man movie, but it was trying it was trying to be like Batman Begins. It was trying to be a Nolan Batman movie. Sure. But then, but okay, but then you know what happened? Um, it kind of got lukewarm reviews, and then in 2012, the Avengers happened, and then the Amazing Spider-Man two tried to replicate that. And it's like you're right, Bill. Just be you know be your own thing. Like that's probably you know what, and that's probably why these Spider Verse movies are hitting so you know so home for people is because they're just they're their own thing and they're creating their own unique universe. That's right. It's just like listen, there's only you know there's only one Christopher Nolan. Um, Aaron, give us the definitive answer here. Would you agree this is the best comic movie still 15 years later? I mean, for me, it is. Uh, I mean, I know some people are going to gravitate towards um, like Avengers uh, Endgame or Infinity War. And I mean, I don't fault them for that. For me, it, it totally is. I, I have not been as invested in um, any of those movies as much as I've been invested in this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, 
it's 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 still just a a great movie. And so like, and I also say this too, like it's like I'm a Marvel naysayer, but like I totally no. understand, like what? no, but like I've I get it, I Please. do get it, like and I and I get it now. Like I can understand someone saying like, hey, like Avengers Endgame is just is it's my favorite comic book movie ever because uh-huh. that is such a culmination of a buildup of you know like whatever it was you know ten it, it's 15 the, years it's of, the that's an event. Yeah, movie. no, totally, I get it, yeah. and it's it, it's crazy to think too in two thousand eight that the Dark Knight came out the same year as the first Iron Man. I mean, it just like that, that you know <laughs> what a, what a great year. Um, because look, I mean, the first Iron Man is probably like my third favorite Marvel movie, something like that. I don't know. Okay, um, what's the what's the first two? All right, so the first number one is um, I actually I'm going with Avengers: Infinity War. That to it's me, really to, to really, I we're, we're we're diverting here, but it's all good. But that to me is my favorite because I think that movie very cleverly like makes Thanos the protagonist, which is really interesting. Like it's from his perspective, it's his point of view. But I also think too, you have all these characters in this massive universe and the way I've got to give the Russo brothers credit for this one. I mean, the way that they melded in all the characters and how all their story arcs really came together at the end was a pretty phenomenal achievement. Endgame's fine, but like I, Infinity War is the one to me where it's that is the Avengers movie I will always remember. Um, and then also I got to give it to the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And it's just because just because Rocket is my favorite character in that whole universe, right. which is why I love which is why I uh, love that trilogy. So you got you got a little Marvel feedback too. Um, one more question I do want to and now Bill, you've actually already answered this and I'm I'm interested before i give it That's to aaron so so no i know you haven't seen oppenheimer yet that's fine oh, i know no. i know you haven't seen interstellar but uh so you're putting inception above the dark yeah. knight as your favorite nolan movie 100 very curious on to why that is if you had to sum up oh man i mean visually it still blows my mind it's and, and again people people are trying to replicate that to this day and coming up with that type of deal um the performance again ludicrously stacked cast um it's it's a heist movie i'm a huge heist movie guy but it's a heist movie a relationship movie a movie about fathers a movie about toxic a toxic men it's a it's a it's about uh the afterlife and it, it, it tackles a million things and it packages it in a big hollywood blockbuster and that is bananas to me and the ending is still one we can debate and nobody's wrong. Like you could debate is Batman did Batman win? There's a debate here. And and I think and like but I I don't think it's as strong a debate as yo did that fucking top ever fall? <laughs> because it's like ah you cuz some people say yes, some people say no and there's but the interpretations of that ending whether you believe one way or the other, there's five different interpretations of that I've seen that are all very interesting and people are still coming up with think pieces about this and it makes me want to watch this movie which is so wild and so weird and so complex. I've seen it like 30 times. It's fucking great. And I love The Dark Knight. I love Batman. I I really do. But this movie was just special. This blew me away in a way that Dark Knight did and as impactfully. It just it, it captivates everything about me. It makes me question reality when I watch this movie. Whereas the Dark Knight, I'm like, it's a good fucking movie. I, so it's it's Dark Knight for me, but I'll say that in like in Inception spectacular. Um, I will say though, so after I left Oppenheimer. Um, which is now my number two on Nolan on my Nolan rankings. And I said, man, 
if Oppenheimer didn't talk the Dark Knight, top the Dark Knight, then nothing ever will for me. I this I just don't see him ever making for me a better movie than the Dark Knight. Um, Aaron, and then to you, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen every Nolan movie, but uh, would the Dark Knight be your favorite Christopher Nolan movie? So I have seen all of his uh, his movies. For I will, I can say pretty easily that this is his most entertaining movie for me at least i mean you you could argue inception or batman begins um as like his most crowd-pleasing movie um but for, for me it, it's uh the dark knight as far as what is my favorite i mean his run i don't know his run from memento to like inception is so good and so consistent and even some of the stuff like interstellar which i i loved when it came out it's really hard. It's like picking your favorite child, as as the saying goes. Um, and Dunkirk is no slouch either, man. Yeah, that's a, that's my number that's, four. That's a, that's uh, a so close. I I I really go back and forth, and I kind of have to like lump this in a group of four, which is basically cheating. Where I would put like Memento and Prestige and this and Batman Begins all together at the top and, and that's ridiculous i know but that that's it's the only way i can your opinion so yeah <laughs> i look no it just i it just speaks to how many damn good movies he's made i mean look yeah. i you know tenant was a bit of a tenet, miss for me as like, alex said tenant is vibes yeah it's, tenet it's just, is it's, definitely it, vibes it's just vibes and that's all it has to be <laughs> I, listen, I've seen it twice, and I want to give it—I want to give it another chance. It just seems like I've got to work a little bit harder. Also, but out of all those movies, sequences. Out of all those movies, this is the only one that got a Halloween costume of Josh as the Joker. It's out there. Oh, fuck, you—you you have to share that now. Yeah, as I don't care if no one else sees it. Yeah, at our high school, we had a, a a costume contest for Halloween. He was a Joker, and my friend and I were his two henchmen with the masks on. Of course, we were we were like one of three jokers. So, oh, yeah, but I mean, it's group, <laughs> that's, you know, group chat that let's see that. Yeah, I'll have to find it. My yeah. mom probably has it. Somewhere. It's probably going to be the cover of this podcast. That, that, that's it. Well, that's a great way to wrap this up. Uh, all right. Well, thank you both. See, and you guys, everyone listening, even you got some good bonus Marvel and Nolan talk. How about that? There you go. <sighs> We um, could we could right. do a whole Nolan cast. Let's let's yes face yeah. it. yes yes we could yes we could. Uh, his films are spectacular, and I do think he will win. Well, Oscar year is still young, but uh, he's definitely oh. in the driver's seat. Too hey, much. listen, Dune just did it a favor for all the technical <laughs> awards. That's what I said. Well, I think see, I yeah. think part of the reason why I think I stole your tweet when I said that. <laughs> Uh, I think part of the reason why, uh, well, this is one of the minor reasons, obviously Dune 2, I'm sure moved because of the strike, but, uh, but it's like, I feel like it was probably, they probably knew like, yeah, we're getting blocked out on all the technical awards this year by Oppenheimer. So let's try for next year. Uh, But I am looking forward to Dune 2, Denny Villanueva, great director. Um, All right, let's do some plugging. Aaron Saranaki, where can people find you? Uh, right. Yeah. So I am on uh, the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> so if you want to follow me uh, there, um, I usually just talk about movies uh, that I've watched or sometimes I talk about TV. Um, I'm maybe looking to uh, do, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll actually write a review. I'm so podcasting so often with uh, the Anniversary Brothers, as we mentioned, um, which uh, we just did a uh, we did a movie podcast on Save It, Pride, and Ryan. And uh, Bill, wouldn't you like to know that um, the uh, writer for that movie also wrote your favorite movie, Thor The Dark World? Well, we can't all have nice things, can we? Yeah. Like, like I said, a, what a, a fun day. 
What a fucking wow. What a swing and a miss. I'll put that nicely. Bill, where can people find you? And I know you've got stuff to plug. Oh, I always do. I'm on X at Bodkin Writes. Don't follow me. Follow <laughs> the pop break at all times. We're the pop break online every single day we're at 14 years the end of september 14 years it's awesome uh follow us on x uh instagram facebook youtube and blue sky at the pop break as for me i'm the co-host of socially distanced podcast which drops every single friday on all your favorite streaming platforms uh both dan and aaron have been guests on that show uh when dan comes on we just unmercifully taunt him about his love for batman versus superman because it's justified but right now we are in the middle of our Ahsoka rewatch, which is a hell of a lot of fun. If you have not watched Ahsoka yet and you're like Dan and you're like, ah, oh, serious, I don't, I'm stress, anxiety. I can't watch Star Wars stuff. This is the one you watch. Um, also, I am the co-host of on um, the bill and the bill versus the MCU podcast, which is an MCU rewatch slash first watch podcast. I do that on the Pop Break Today, Today feed once a month. Aaron was just our most recent guest. So, one of Aaron, you were amazing on that episode, I must say, as our special guest, because he wrote 6,000 reviews about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talk about the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing our all hits, no misses watch, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, we're, I am also do a music interview series called Anchored in Asbury. I did not produce one for August. I have potentially two really big ones coming out for September. Pop break today as well. And then I am, of course, with Aaron's brother, Josh, and uh, Alex Marcus for uh, Pop Break uh, on Pop Break TV's TV, TV Break, which is our analysis of the TV industry. And finally, check out the socially distanced feed uh, Labor, Day we- Labor Day weekend. We're going to be Pop X Anime, which Josh is hosting with my socially distanced co-host, Amanda Rivasta, which is going to be an anime podcast. It's going to be the premiere episode. I will be on it, and I'll be t- we'll talking about the One Piece adaptation for Netflix. So I'm actually looking forward to that. So we'll see what's going on there. Dan Cohen, tell people where they can find you and all your thoughts on movies like Sausage Party on the Internet. Sausage Party. Love that movie. I did. I did find it very, very funny. But yes, if you want to get all my BVS thoughts, yes, uh, you can follow me at D Cohen Writer on X. That's D Cohen Writer. And yes, and like I said, check out some of our past Batman by the Numbers episodes. We've got a lot of them now. And I always do this. I in every episode, I always plug our pilot episode, which I really, really like with me, Bill Bodkin, and Alex Marcus. And we, hey, we just rank all the Batman movies. So if you want to hear us talk more about The Dark Knight, there you go. Um, and also another great one we did a few months ago. Uh, it was a big panel where we rank all the Batman actors. That was a really good one. And of course, like I mentioned too, um, if you want even more Dark Knight Oscar talk, please check out the podcast that Bill and I did um, Batman at the Oscars. We did a flash review a little while ago. Uh, so please listen to our past episodes of Batman by the numbers. We will be back next month. Until then, thank you for listening. Goodbye.